Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning and welcome once again to American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. And folks, I'm going to get through this mentoring program this week. Boy, we had... Uh, some uh, interference with the program on mentoring. I, you know, folks, I really uh, have become committed to getting through this program on mentoring because it is, I think, maybe the single most important tool that you as a coach, you as a parent, you as a player have in, I don't want to say streamlining, that sounds a little bit too, um, smoke and mirror type thing, uh, not streamlining, but basically it is the best tool for you to not waste time with the player that you coach, uh, the child that you parent, or if you are a player out there listening to this program, this is the fastest way for you to get down the road. And look, they can talk about the pathway all they want. I mean, my golly, USTA is paying all kinds of money to these consultants. They got this thing out there called the pathway. Well, you know and I know there are thousands of different pathways. Some work, some don't. It's not the pathway, though. Look, some, some really crummy-looking pathways on the surface work. If the kid has it under the hood, if he has a heart that he is – uh, motivated, if, if if his heart is motivated, if he does the work, if he perseveres, but emotionally the most important thing is to ride the ups and the downs. And this tennis is a game of ups and downs and kick-arounds. I say it's up, downs, kick-arounds. First you have it, then you don't. It's like chasing a cat. Chase it, runs all day. If you sit down, sometimes comes, jumps in your lap. It is a tough, tough deal, but it is the parody of life that we want all of our youngsters to learn. And yesterday I was at a um, 
uh, recruiting, and I had a talk with a parent. I said, you see the very best and the very worst things in tennis. You see the very best people, and some of the people just, uh, it's it's a tough one. <laughs> I was talking to a coach as well, and you know how I have my loaded stuff about, uh, I've got sayings on everything. I said, there's good, 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 bads, bad goods, and bad, bads in our actions. So you do your best and you succeed, that's a good, good. You do your best and don't succeed, that's a good, bad. A bad good is you don't give your best and you get a reward. That's a participation trophy, a grade you didn't work for. It's anything that uh, comes your way. And, you know, listen, sometimes stuff is doesn't have to be always that hard. But the point is the lessons aren't learned. But a bad good, that's like winning the lottery. That's, that's the ultimate bad good, I guess, or a participation trophy. Bad goods turn to bad bads pretty quick, though. So it, it's that way with your deeds. But we were talking yesterday about a player that should have, could have, would have. Uh, and talking about the pathway, he had the pathway. He had the resources. He had the parents. He had the God-given ability through the roof. And, you know, you talk about somebody just doesn't have the it factor. This kid, had, you know, he really on the inside, what a competitor. But the, but the big thing we were talking about was this, and you hate to say this about young people, but I said you've got bad people who do good, bad, good people who do good things, good people do bad things. You've got bad people that do good things and bad people that do bad things, and you don't like to say that a young person, this young man under age 24, 25, look, after 25, it's it's tough to change people. You know, if they're if they're not they don't have a good moral compass, it's hard to build one after that without a religious experience or with marrying a fantastic person that turns you around and when you get children it turns you around sometimes. But a lot of times it's set in stone, the die is cast by age twenty five. Now that's my experience. I don't know, you might differ with me on that, but my experience the die is cast by the time kids are twenty five. You know, if they're dishonest, they're going to be dishonest. If they're if they're dependable, reliable, hardworking, they're going to be dependable, reliable, hardworking. But the point is, on young people, you always work with them. And this is a kid that's blown three chances, three chances. And it's a tough one. So you say, you know, when does that which we do become who we are? When does that which we do become who we are? Either in good ways or bad ways. And it's... Uh, Golly, my father used to have this thing. He said, oh, what tangled webs we weave when first we practice to deceive, son. And uh, loaded language, I'm so glad my parents used that because it sure has helped me over the years. But anyhow, I said, uh, we were talking, this coach and I, and I said, you know, it's and, uh, is a good person doing a bad thing or has this person done so many bad things that the good person becomes a bad person? And I had a kid, one of my freshmen got in trouble a couple years ago, and I said to him, and it was something that was just a brain cramp. You don't do this. And he got in trouble, and I said, now, are you a good person who has done this bad thing, or are you a bad person that sort of this is becoming a habit? He goes, oh, coach, oh, coach, I, I promise you I'm one of the I'm – I'm a good person doing a bad thing. And I said, yep, yep, I, I believe so. That's the way you work with most of the kids. But to you youngsters living out there, I, I've got a hundred analogies, but if 
You know, my mama say, used to say, if you don't want to catch fleas, you don't hang around with dogs. And uh, But in the long run, you want to be a person who is a good person because of your moral compass. And things there are valuable things that you don't cross the line with ever. And your parents can help you with that one. So, listen, folks, uh, we 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 have had uh, two weeks trying to get through this uh, mentoring program, but it is the most powerful, powerful tool that you can use in coaching or parenting or as a player. And motivation has always been the toughest job. Doesn't matter how much talent you have. Doesn't matter how many opportunities you have. But ability, desire, opportunity, ability, opportunity, desire, nurture, nature, self. However you want to frame it, it always comes down to what's in a person's heart and the motivation part of this. Now, with that, it always comes down to this, as I've said, too. I I was very fortunate. I ran into uh, Tim Wilkerson, and I told him i talk about him on the show some, but this was a statement. We agreed it was about 1980, 1981. He came, was training with my team. He was dating his soon-to-be wife, wife at that time at Clemson. And I remember him saying that, you know what, I hate to lose more than anything else in the world, but more than losing, I hate not to play, to compete. Well, with that, and when your kids give the ultimate effort and they get hurt, the problem is not them giving the ultimate effort the first time, second time, third time, fourth time. But when they get cut, 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 and they fall short, they start to withdraw energy. And when they start withdrawing energy, what they think is 100% is really only 80% of what they used to give. And then the 80% becomes 70%. Pretty soon, they're out there rationalizing that they are, they're hard triers and they're not good competitors anymore. As you build programs, as you build teams, you also must build the culture first. The culture of the individual needs to be built, whether you're working in a mentoring program with somebody or whether you are building a team. The culture must be built. Then your kids need to learn how to compete, not just to be hard triers, but compete and give everything. And winning causes are losing causes. And guess what? Most of the time, Giving all and winning causes or losing causes is about 80% losing causes at first. So I say you've got to learn how to lose first, and you lose by giving everything in a losing cause. And then eventually you get stronger, and then you learn how to win. So here's what happens. You build a culture. You learn how to compete. You learn how to lose in the right way. Then you learn how to win in the right way. Ultimately, then you can win championships. It, all of those progressions lead up to what we're trying to build in human beings through sports. And it's not about building the sport hero. It's about building the great person through the world of sports. And, boy, the World Series on tonight. And uh, update this program. But tonight, the Cubs and the Indians go head-to-head in a an unbelievable classical matchup between two great, great programs that have been around for years. And the, the hundred and some years, the Cubs, since they won 50 years or 48 years, whatever it is, since Cleveland Indians have won. And you see how these guys hold up under pressure and you wonder, hey, is that just because they're good? No, it's because they've had thousands of reps at having their rear end quiver. 
And the loaded language is when your rear end starts to quiver, you still need to deliver. And they learn to deliver when their rear end is a quivering. And the point, guys, is that this job of giving your best in a winning cause is number one. Giving your best in a losing cause is number two. Number three in competitive sports is you don't play. You don't play at all. It's not, oh, I had fun and let's see what happens. That is a participation sport. Do you hear me out there, coaches? USTA, this is where you're botching it up. And I hate to be, I hate to be tough, but it's the truth. You guys don't understand that let's go out and have fun. Let's see how it goes. That is a participation activity. Competitive sports come down. Do you think the the Cubs and the um, the Cubs and the Indians tonight are well? Let's go out and have fun. No, it's going to be com- competition at the fairest, the highest level. But they did not. Here's the point: they did not get that way by saying let's go out and have fun. Probably by the age before puberty, 10, 11, 12 in there, winning felt really good and losing hurt a lot. And they had to decide if they wanted to be competitors or if they just want to be participants. And there's two different things. Folks, I want to start out this program with with talking about, and I'm going to go to commercial here in a second, but I've got to get through this really quick. The three laws that I believe in, first of all, again, posterity over our prosperity. Again, uh, and I've got to say this. I've got a quote from my high school tennis coach, Brother Roland Driscoll, passed away yesterday. Brother Roland passed away 98 years old in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he'll be buried up at Notre Dame. And he was a brother to Holy Cross, and I looked at his my high school picture today when I was 15 years old in 1965. I remember his voice 50 years ago. And here's to you, Brother Roland. He used to say, all young students who want to learn, pay close attention. And he used to say, you silly, silly senior, what are you thinking when you're doing something like that? He always used to say, too, uh, kids, remember that there's never a Brinks truck following the hearse on the way to, on, on the, way to, the, on the, way to the graveyard. Brother Roland, my golly, I, uh, my regret is that I didn't get up to Knoxville to see him once a month while these last five to seven years. We all have that regret with some of our loved ones when they pass away. I remember his voice, and I remember the kind man that he was. And and I remember he was athletic director at my high school, Cathedral High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, um, wow, I still remember his voice. As a coach, you must remember that, those things that you pass on, fame, fortune, and all those, people will never die for fame or fortune, but they always will die for a cause. The things you remember are those things that are priceless, and, and they absolutely are. Our posterity over our prosperity as teachers, we must, we must remember those. Uh, I got a quick story to tell. I told this. Uh, I worked with the great Vesa Ponca. For three and a half years, side by side, and 
he was leading all the coaches and uh, at a place I can't give his place a prompt here. But we were we, we used to Wednesdays he would have meetings for the coaches, and on Wednesday we would go and there would be some diamond that he would give us. But this one particular Wednesday, he gave everybody a three by five card, and he said to us, "Now write down." Who in your life you can remember that had the most impact on you other than your father and your mother and your very close relatives? Well, golly, I wanted to write down a few of my coaches, but I wrote down my Uncle Otto, if you could, my Uncle Otto, because he was a tough old German little tough guy who I learned about courage. I learned about saying those things you need to say, not what others always want to hear. This was just, he was impacting. My friends wrote down different people. So we went around and we said who it was very quickly and why. When he got to the end, he said, now, if I gave this same card or if the same exercise was done by your students that you teach 30 years from now, would they write down your name? And it was a fantastic exercise. And I remember that most people really got it. There were a couple flashy fly-by-night coaches that were sort of tried to write down famous names and tried to gain a little notoriety by who they wrote. And they got called out. Vessa would always call people out <laughs> with it. And uh, we were talking about these with a group of coaches yesterday. But your posterity over your prosperity is really, really important. Second thing is the law of reciprocities. Your law of reciprocities. That means you will get back ten times what you give to other people. And uh, it's, it's a law of the universe. The law of reciprocity. Dr. James Dobson had a program many, many years ago that I listened to. Um, that, And you can look up law of reciprocities. And it, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. But the whole thing about... Uh, giving away those things you get and you will get tenfold back. I, I, I really think that's important because as coaches we have a tendency to want to we, we, we want to hoard those ideas that we get we oh boy we're on a cutting edge here and wow I've got this thing going and I don't want to get my idea it's just the opposite whatever you give to other people you'll get you will get back so uh, posterity over your prosperity law of reciprocity law of abundance is you know Anthony Robbins guy that does the personal power back in the 80s but he said the law of abundance, if you just realize there's enough to go around for everybody, we have a plentiful world out here. And it only, we only get short of supply when we try to hoard things or when we try to just squelch for ourselves. And it, it brings in then some of the negatives that will keep us from prospering. If we can teach these to our youngsters, we really, really are off to a good start. But today's program, I want to talk about three-tier mentoring, and I'm going to go to commercial, and I will be right back on American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. 
In my 30 years experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and folks, go to ChuckCreasy.net to keep up with my writings, my blogs, and uh, other things. And folks, I'm getting after that blog and Facebook. I'm going to come up to date here really quick. Go to ChuckCreasy.net and see what I'm doing with my energy in the tennis world. You don't care about them. 
you basically say, you're, I know you're a pedigree dog, but it's okay to go in the house and wet on the furniture. That's what you're doing if you don't discipline athletes. And, and uh, we, you're not kind if you don't discipline the athletes. So peers, pain, then reward, that's a tough one because the kids get so many rewards already. They already all look like heroes on Facebook or the Internet. So the point, point is that's, that, that's a tough one, too, but you've got to find out that reward is. Now, the pain and the pleasure thing I got from the Anthony Robbins personal power tapes years and years ago, and go, to, go look, look that up. That is some really fantastic stuff. Um, but I read it probably, I listened to the tapes in the 80s sometime, but, uh, but that has stuck with me. Peers, pain, pleasure, the three Ps. Surround your people with the best people. That is their peer group. That's your mentoring base right there. Now, how does it work? How does it work when you have a three-tier mentoring program? Well, three tiers means that you have someone above you, someone below you, and someone at your level. For example, I have a three-tier mentoring program going for myself. I have lots of youngsters below are on that I mentor to these would be my Timothys. If you, I got this from uh, the Promise Keepers organization years ago, and uh, I've got to give that credit because it's fantastic. They say you need Timothys under you that you teach. I've got that automatically as a teacher and a coach. Then you need someone who's teaching you. So I have I, I identify two or three older gentlemen. You know, of course, my father was one of my. Paul's the Paul is the teacher um, also I had a couple great friends in Clemson where I used to live that I would ask them question about what's coming around to bend the next 10 or 15 years and I'm constantly searching for mentors for myself it doesn't matter how old you are you need someone above you that is giving you guidance because folks frankly we can feel ourselves we do not see ourselves. We do not. We don't. We do not have eyes that do not tell lies. We we need eyes that tell no lies. Have you ever heard the saying? Uh, most people in charge believe everybody in the world would want to be like me if only they knew how. And that's hilarious, but it's very very true. We all judge ourselves with our hearts and we judge other people with our head it needs to be the reverse we need to first of all judge others with our heart our heart and judge ourselves with our head in reverse but we need somebody's eyes and we need people above us that save us time so you have a paul above us you have timothy's blows the critical critical i cannot overstate how important this is you must have that level of peer group, uh, peer group pressure, peer group influence, peer group advice, but you must have that peer group, and they call this the Barnabas level. So you have the Paul, the Barnabas, the Timothy. The Barnabas level is those are those people, you, and this is key, you must give them permission, you must give them permission to tell you the truth. 
You must give them permission to call you out on things. You must give them permission to state at a personal level what the truth is and what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And that that's a critical thing that you just say, look, I trust you with much more than just cliches and facts or things on the outside, window dressing, uh, surface. I need more than that. I need the meat. Please give me your opinion on this, what I'm thinking about, or your opinion on how I'm acting as a coach, as a mentor, as a player, as a parent. Give me your opinion. And with that, with that opinion that you give me, then I have to make decisions based on what the truth is. Because, again, oh, my golly, we, we look at ourselves so differently than what the truth is. And it, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of time, a lot of living, a lot of wisdom, a lot of soul searching, and absolutely a close relationship to God. Uh, so that we can soul search and, and see the right things. And even with that, even with that, we will mess up sometimes. But that is the structure. You must have a Paul, a Barnabas, Timothy. So very quickly, think of how this works. You might have a college player that is, that is working with a 17-year-old. Your 17-year-old is working with a 15-year-old. 15-year-old is working with his little brothers or her little brothers, sisters, brothers or sisters at age 13, 11, and then an 11-year-old absolutely might be trying to help somebody else. So that's, that, that's the way it could work in tennis. Think about this. Think about, you know, all of the talent that we have not developed in the United States of America. <clears throat> Why? I believe it's for lack of mentoring, for lack of programs. Now, first of all, our structure of tournaments, we segregate the tournaments in 10 and unders, 12 and unders, 14 and unders, 16 and unders, 18 and unders, L1, L2, L3, and we got a little too smart for our britches. We got a little bit too smart, and we were able to segregate people into different different uh, areas and different levels. So there's not a lot of cross-learning and learning up or learning down that goes on. First of all, that structure is wrong. We need to have an arena and of where kids get to play with older kids, younger kids. And two weeks ago, we had on a former touring pro, Clint Bowling, and this journeyman talked, 10-year journeyman talked about the importance that he went through in league playing in France and pro tournaments where everybody played everybody. He said, one, one day I might be playing a 14-year-old kid, and another day I might be playing a 45-year-old man in the tournaments. So it's based on levels and ratings. I think that some of that rating stuff that's going around is a good idea. That's my idea back in uh, early 2000s in college tennis. We absolutely needed that so badly because we were getting segregated in college tennis as well. And my statement over and over was the kids, everybody needs – Hope. They need hope, and they need a mission, and they need goals to go after. And when you're segregated into the same group and the same age group all the time, it's, it's uh, you know, look, those the groupings of kids, and whether it's single A, double A, triple A, and high schools, all of that is just, again, it's participation mode. That's a socialist agenda. We need tennis to be opened up out there 
if we really want our kids to, to kids to take off. But think of how good this might be. Okay, here's here's the perfect scenario. So we've got our top players, whether it's Sam Query, John Isner. I bet John Isner would do this. Query, those are good guys, and Stephen Johnson and those guys that have gone through college tennis because they did it a lot with the team, their teams through college days. But let's say they would take uh, what if what if the top five USA players, John Isner called them and said, hey. So-and-so, hey, Joe Smith, uh, listen, I'm playing in Washington and I'm playing up in New Haven. I'm playing here. How about come with me and be my sparring partner for three weeks? And he learns. And he takes his kid three to four to five weeks under his, under his tutelage. And you know what? John would play better tennis. He, he understands this because he was a great mentor to those Georgia teams. I think his teams won two national championships. They had good teams, but my golly, had a, one, one of the best human beings ever as a leader. But that's how the kids learn. Now, those 18-year-old kids from wherever they were at, they might have been from Atlanta or Birmingham or California, and they traveled with John. Now, they have a responsibility to mentor to five or six others in their section. Here's what I learned from John Isner. Now, you guys have to go apply this and help somebody else. So it should be the law of reciprocity should be I've got to give to five people, and I get back 50-fold, I guess. But do you see how this could work? Where I used to work up at at Vesapanka, where he's the director, uh, we did this with all of our kids. We had eight teams. We had eight 18-year-olds that became the leaders, and they, we actually had a draft. We put all of the kids, 100 kids that were training on a board, and all of those players drafted their team. And then that team had a mentoring line, and that team had a coach, and then they had someone under them and someone under them and someone under them. Now, the accountability came in that, they, they golly, they kept score with uh, – academics they kept score with matches won at tournaments matches won in practice you know the attitude thing is sort of just uh, general i mean we didn't give a bunch there but the point is uh, that was expected just being a great kid should not just get a reward that should be expected out of your program that's just the norm that's the point i wanted to make there but this is how it works the mentoring the three-tier mentoring program works in this way so all of us as a coach i again i need someone above me some and then there's those i've got a thing i'm most proud of i'm not gonna but i'm i I am proud of this i've got to tell you i've got 40 some of my former players or coaches are out there coaching in college or high school not just the clubs but absolutely coaches i've had over 35 over the years, coach at colleges. And I'm so proud of this because this is how it works. Then you pass on what I got from my coaches, Brother Roland, uh, Coach Bill Green, Coach John McLeod, Coach in my basketball coaches, and my all the way back to Mr. Phelan when he was uh, – Art Phelan was my sixth-grade football coach. and I still remember his voice. And uh, but we pass these things on. 
Two-tier mentoring programs break down, folks. Two-tier mentoring programs break down. And the reason why they break down is because they usually wear out the person who continues to give, give, give. <coughs> and the person who is receiving, receiving, receiving becomes very much like the pigeon that's waiting for the next meal to get thrown their way. Two-tier mentoring programs are good in theory, but they are not good in actuality or they are not good as far as being caring, carrying it out. I'll be right back, and then I'll talk to you about how to install your own three-tier mentoring program. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. <laughs> J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Coach Chuck Creasy and I'm back, and I want to talk with you <clears throat> briefly about something that you might do. Um, when I worked at this uh, place, Vesaponka, we had three three types of um, mentoring. We had player to player mentoring. I think that is the most important and the most powerful. We also had coach to coach mentoring. We had different tiers of coaches, and we explained it <clears throat> to the younger coaches coming in. Now, you don't flaunt power over somebody. Again, folks, the key to power is empowering those under you. The key to power, power is implied. It's not exhibited. But we did have a order of older coaches mentoring to younger coaches, younger coaches mentoring to some of the top kids, et cetera. Then we had coach-to-player mentoring. Now, that is more like teaching than mentoring, I guess. The real three-tier mentoring program works when you have player-to-player or coach-to-coach, friend-to-friend. But, again, everyone has to have a teacher. Everyone has a student. Everyone has a Paul. Everybody has a student, a Timothy. Your level that is critical is the Barnabas. Now, how do you implement this? Well, you can do it in the classroom. You can do it. uh, Great friend, Kent Kinnear, who's one of my former players. By the way, congratulations to Kent Kinnear and Coach Andy Johnston at Clemson University. They will be inducted into the Athletic Hall of Fame there this uh, following weekend. No, it's the 11th, 12th, 13th, I believe, at, at Clemson University. Now, if there are kinder people in the whole world, I'd like to see them in the world of tennis. If there are people who are clutch better than these two people. I'd like to see them. Ken Kinnear started out on my team, folks, number 
11 or 12, and he got to number two in the world in doubles. He played in 37 Grand Slams. And if you ever met this guy, you would you would never know any of that. And I guarantee you, he walked into his house, he doesn't have any trophies. He might have pictures of his family hanging on the wall. <clears throat> and his allegiance is first it, it's it's very obvious it's to God, family, and, and mission as a teacher. And uh, so congratulations, Kent Kinnear and Andy Johnson. I wanted to say on the air that uh, I'm a better man because I was your friend, and uh, I enjoyed every minute I spent by your side over those years. But I wanted to tell you, Kent Kinnear, when he first got off the tour, he went to a small town, I think it was Asheboro, North Carolina, and he put together a um, – mentoring program a three-tier mentoring program for his kids at the ymca and he said it had a lot of impact because it right away it empowers the kid who's sort of in the middle the drift the drift kids that's drifting in and out it empowers them to give to other people and and, and here's here's the question i always get when i bring this up they say well what about we we're empowering this bad kid Look, 100% of the time, when kids are young, I guarantee when they get in trouble, it's because they seek attention. You put them in a leadership role, they will be your leader. Almost always that quarterback, that pitcher, that number one player, that team captain is the person who at one time in their life was in and out of trouble more. Almost always, it's not the person who never makes the mistake. What they're seeking is attention usually. But if you put a bad – look, if, no. If you put a good kid who's doing a bad thing in leadership positions and you give them direction, now you got to give them direction, and you got to say, look, I'm – you know, this is the deal. But they surprise you, and they will go to the moon. Don't just put that kid, that goody-two-shoes kid that never gets in trouble in a leadership position because most of the time – he doesn't see what he needs to eat. She doesn't see what she needs to see. And they absolutely do not always get the respect uh, that some of the other kids, they don't, they don't see between the lines a lot of times. Not to say that, look, look, power, more power to those kids that never get in that much trouble. But that you can do it. But he had a YMCA program that he did this. Look, I, I got to go back to that point here a second. I've only got four or five minutes, but folks, I, I've learned over the years in coaching, there's three types of youngsters, and, and this is an analogy, so bear with me here. So you tell this youngster, the stove is hot, uh, the mom, mother told the youngster, the stove is hot, don't touch it. The first type of youngster goes, mom's right, I better not touch it. And then they don't touch it, and they don't ever have to go through a lot of the mess-ups in life. The second child, mom says, the stove is hot, don't touch it. They go, oh, really? Oh, oh, my golly, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. Mom was right, mom was right. Okay, I learned from my mistake, I learned from my mistake. And, folks, I'm, I guarantee you that's the person that I was. But there is the third person that often becomes your best leader. And that mama says, the stove is hot, do not touch it. And they go, oh, really? Oh, 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 oh. And they touch it 15 times. They get their hand burnt 15 times, and they have compulsive behavior tendencies. Folks, this is the player that love that will be a great athlete because they're not afraid of the fire. But you have to take and mold that person 
you've got to James Dobson saying, with the willful child, you mold the will. You never break the spirit. With that willful, defiant sometimes youngster, mold the will, do not break the spirit. We often break the spirit. Look, motivation will always be the key. Many weeks ago, I did a program on the difference between compliance, commitment, and inspired enthusiasm. But I want you to think about this. As leaders, we can, we can bully or use our power to force people into compliance situation. But we have their body in this tragedy, the tragedy of what's going on in our country right now with overregulation and too many rules. USTA, listen, top-down management, you can get compliance. You can get forced compliance, but will not do any good because it does not inspire. Yes, compliance is important, but the next step of commitment where you have a person's head and they say, I want to do this, is more important. And I look, I'd rather have people committed to the wrong things, and you can turn that. You can't change a person who does not have commitment of the heart towards something and build an avenue for commitment. Look, you can get compliance then it has to lead to commitment where you have your head. Inspired enthusiasm is what we're all after as coaches. Inspired enthusiasm. Inspired enthusiasm. Now the heart, the soul is involved. There, It's more than involvement. It's a, it's, it's a depth of giving. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek word hentheos, which means hentheos, H-E-N-T-H-E-O-S. It means the spirit of God within. And that is powerful when you think about how powerful that word enthusiasm. So if somebody says you're enthusiastic, that is extremely powerful. Look back on my programs, but then I talked about what the reticular activating system is and how important that is, the RAS, to where the youngster starts looking, seeking for and trying to find the answers on their own. They're inspired to the level where they try to find answers on their own. And I'm going to quote in finishing here the great Clarence Mabry, who I consider a mentor from afar, because Clarence passed away about four or five years ago. But he was a great coach at Trinity University, and I remember going to his talk in 1980 at the National Teachers Conference, Roosevelt Hotel, New York City. I was a young coach coming up, and somebody asked Coach Mabry, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player, championship athlete? He scratched his chin, and he said, most definitely, I believe, it's the hunger of an inquisitive mind. Once the athlete gets to the place where they ask questions and they start seeking the answers on their own, that's where you want to be. So the compliance means nothing without the deeper levels of a commitment to inspired enthusiasm and then getting the reticular locked in or the RAS locked in. And um, listen, folks, it's all about motivation, and motivation's easy when things are going well. The tough deal is when things are not going well and learning how to give your best in a losing cause as well as a winning cause. And Folks, that's why I love team coaching so much. You have these potential for built-in mentoring systems 
right in your grasp there. You have older players, younger players, and once you get them, the older people doing, the older folks doing the right things, and in, in the right way, you do good goods and good bads. Stay away from those bad bad goods and bad bads, folks. Those participation trophies. Stay away from that stuff. It's just feel good stuff, because in the end, it leads nowhere. In the end. Coaching is beautiful because coaching, you can the group dynamic, the symmetry of people working together is so, so powerful. It absolutely grows geometrically, grows exponentially. By yourself, folks, the best you could never do is grow arithmetically. And, folks, look, that doesn't mean that, look, we have to – we rely on everybody else and, oh, everybody is – we're just a village and all that, the liberal stuff that comes out with uh, that socialist mentality. No, you're independently tough, independently thinking, but when you come together in a team and you let the lead runners go to the front of the pack and there is pain for losing that they're allowed to embrace, not your pain, just the pain of losing, and there is reward for winning, you're well on your way. Folks, three-tier mentoring program, it works. Try to go there with your team. And we're about ready to go. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.